Good afternoon. This is Monday afternoon, and this is Jerry and Brenda with Gems and Nuggets of Truth. Thank you, Brenda. Well, it's just a beautiful Monday here in Hutchinson. I'm sure most of the state of Minnesota. But um, it, it is a beautiful day. It's about 54 degrees right now. Uh, this week is supposed to get up even up into the 70s. And then I think winter is going to set in again. But anyway, the podcast I'm going to do today is I just put a title on it. And I'm calling it, Do You Know Who You Are in Christ? Now that could be a, an open-ended question, and uh, I, I think different people are going to have different ideas about that. Who am I in Christ? We sometimes would like to think, well, if I turn my, when I turn my life over to Jesus Christ, that uh, everything is going to be all roses and all this, and we know better than that. We know better than that. We're going to have peaks and valley and in our life, living with or without Christ. It's going to be the same. The good thing about this, with Christ in our life, when we go into the valley, we know that Christ is always going to be there with us. And we know what the outcome is going to be. I mean, if you read the end of the book, the Bible, you'll know what the outcome is for Christians. But I'm going to go through a few scriptures here and point out that just because we're living for Jesus Christ and I don't mean to make that light take that lightly it's not going to be we're going to have a life that's all roses that's not going to happen we know better than that but let me give you some scriptures how that all falls out in Matthew chapter 10 verse 36 and a man's foes shall be they of their his own household let me say that again. I kind of stuttered around that one. Matthew ten thirty six. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Second Timothy three twelve. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. First John three thirteen. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You know that last one, if the world hates you, and I, I was just listening to the radio and we were talking about, they were talking about how Christians are being persecuted worldwide. And, and it, it's just amazing the amount of Christians that 
are being persecuted in this day and age. But, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the end times, which means that Satan is going to get stronger and stronger in the world. And people are, they're just a, a, an opinion of, from people that, uh, what good is the Bible? Is there a God out there? And it's amazing what's happening with the people in the world today. You'll notice that I said suffering for the Lord's sake. The first verse, the first line I did read, it says, the servant of God must be prepared for the possibility of suffering for the Lord's sake. And you'll notice I said suffering for the Lord's sake. It's not because you did something wrong. It's just you're suffering for the Lord's sake. First Peter 2.19 For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffered wrongfully. For what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if and when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. In 1 Peter 3.17 For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for doing well than for doing evil. We know that if we do something wrong, we're going to get punished for it. What Peter is saying here is that when you don't do anything wrong, other than trying to live a Christian life, you suffer. That's acceptable. That is more than acceptable to God. Because he knows that he's looking down. His son suffered. Jesus Christ had to suffer. And we, as people today, don't need to think that we're going to get off scot-free. It is best to let God take care of any wrongdoing. Romans twelve nineteen says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And first Peter four nineteen it says this Therefore let those that suffer according to God's will do right and entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Now this is all gonna this has been sounding kind of negative, like, wow, why would I want to give my life to Christ if I gotta suffer all this time? I was setting you up because there is a lot of good stuff that's coming out for in the scripture what is the real outcome of Christians. There's going to be some lengthy scriptures that I'm going to quote, so I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to let it up to you to look it up on your own and read read it for yourself. I get a little magazine uh, on a monthly basis. It's called the In Touch magazine. And it's from Dr. Charles Stanley, and most of you people probably know who he is. And he said this, The most important issue in this life is our eternal destiny. Throughout history, the local churches have been composed both of believers and unbelievers. And it's often difficult to tell the difference. You hear that? It's often difficult to tell the difference. And you'll know my thoughts on that because um, if you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, it's because a Christian is a fence setter. And uh, keep in mind, the devil owns a fence. Charles Stanley went on to make four points. 
And in each one of those cases, he's using First John as a scripture lesson. And this is where the lengthy scripture comes in, so I'm not going to quote it. You can look it up. He says this, number one, we need to have a right understanding of Christ and salvation. You can find that in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Very quickly it says this, To be saved we must have the true gospel and the only Savior described in God's word. Like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We have to have a right attitude towards sin. First John chapter 5, I'm first John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. So it's 1, one 5 to 2, 2. True believers hate their sin and are quick to confess and turn from it. That is so important. If you know that you have sinned, confess it to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I, I just, I blew it. God says, hey, that's okay. I got you covered. You confess it to God and God is quick to forgive you. Third thing, right practice of obedience. That's in chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. God's commands are not burdensome to those who belong to Christ. And although we fail at times, our overall direction of our life is one of obedience. And that's what is, that's what's so important. And the fourth thing is to have a right relationship with God's people. That's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Christ produces within his own followers, within his true followers, a love for fellow believers, demonstrated by a desire to be with them. Way back, I read a book, No Man is an Island. No Man is an Island. We need to have associations. Even the, the, the first church and the Acts of the Apostles, how the people, they didn't have a church, a house of worship per se, but they got together in, in, in house churches just to have the fellowship. And that's what's so crucial. That's what We support each other that way. A follower of Christ lives in the world, but he's not part of the world. And maybe in this day and age, it's in the technological age that we live in, it's harder and harder not to be part of the world. But God's word is still all about obedience. We need to be careful. We don't compare ourselves among ourselves. As Second Corinthians 10, 11, chapter 10, verse 12 says, don't compare yourself among ourselves, especially when you compare yourself to the world. More and more people are believing that the Bible has become outdated. They're believing it has become irrelevant in today's society. And again, I'm reading a book called Faith for Exiles. The exiles are the ones that left the Christian faith. And the study was done with, I think, I think the book said like over 10,000 people between the ages of 18 to 29. And it is amazing how many of those people are leaving the church and believing that the Bible is irrelevant 
to today's society. Jesus said in John 6.44, No one can come to the Father. No one can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Then he said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So this begs the question, who are we in Christ? We must believe there is no other way to heaven than through Jesus Christ. And if we believe that, then we must believe the rest of the Bible and take it for what it says without question. For example, the epistles were all Holy Spirit inspired, written by godly writers. So why would we not believe the Bible? If we believe that these people wrote the Bible based on the, the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that thou hast raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That Sounds good, and it is good, and it's right because it's Bible, it's, it's, it's scriptural. However, it's got to be done with a sincere heart. We can't flip, flippantly say, oh yeah, I believe in Christ, so I guess I'm saved. No, you got to have it, a sincere heart. And no one knows that but God. I can't judge someone and they say, yeah, I accepted Christ. But the thing is this, is what is their lifestyle showing me? Because in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It goes on to say in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, which means I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So, who are we in Christ? It depends upon our belief in the Bible and how obedient we want to be to the Bible. Or do we try to, as the old saying goes, push the envelope a bit? Or do we walk down the center of the road saying, I'm not looking to the right or to the left. I am looking straight forward to the time when I can walk into heaven. I really like the Apostle Paul's writings. He did not mince words. He believed that what ha everything that happened to him was to teach him something or for the furtherance of the gospel. How many of us believe that whatever happens to us is to teach us something? Or maybe we've done a little, we've got off track a little bit. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 it says, But I would, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul said this because he was in prison in Rome. 
He was chained to the prison guard. But even then, he was able to witness them about Jesus Christ. And many of those guards responded to him. Besides that, he had a lifestyle. Being in prison, he had a lifestyle of worshiping God, praising God. He wrote several of the epistles while being chained to a guard. And what did he do in those epistles? He encouraged people to stay true and stay faithful and endure until the end. I mean, it's amazing how God got a hold of Paul. I have a closing comment and a closing thought. The comment is this. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul did not mention the beating he and Silas received at the hands of the rulers of Philippi. He and Silas were beat quite severely while they were in prison in in, uh, Philippi. But he did tell us this. And I want you to read this on your own. In in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. It's the whatsoever verse. I want you to read that on your own. So my last thought and my question is this. Who am I in Christ? Well, that's a personal question. And maybe every now and again, as we stand in front of our mirror, we need to step back, take a good look at ourselves and ask ourselves, Who am I in Christ? God bless you all.